Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information. Send along a comment there on our contact form if you'd like to communicate, or you can send an email to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. As I often say, it is a blessing to hear from you. Please don't hesitate to contact me. I really enjoy hearing from many of you from across the world, across the country, the U.S., and, uh, and throughout the world. Uh, you're, you're really a blessing. Uh, this work is, is not funded by, by any third party, any corporate interest. Don't take donations. The blessing to me is to get to hear from you and know that uh, this content is a blessing to you. So my goal is to make disciples, to for us mutually to build each other up, as Paul says, to use his language in scripture. And I do it through a number of disciplines. We talk about the economy here and government. And if you're new to this podcast, it's, you know, they always, all, all the, the, the places where you can go to get podcasts kind of force me into telling them what kind of podcast this is from a list of, of subject matter. And it's just, I choose like education and business most of the time or Christianity or some of them say religion, and, and, and it's, it's just tough for me to do that. I hope we're proclaiming uh, biblical truth and, and doing so through a number of disciplines, and I hope it's a blessing to you. Well, today, this is going to be a little different. I'm going to just answer some questions and, and define some terms that really come out of the study that we, we had in Romans uh, last year, near the end of the year, and and, and really from our last episode together, as we, as we address the real problem of evil, and that is given man's sinful condition, how does a righteous God who, who clearly defines us as unrighteous, unholy uh, sinners, worse sinners than we think we are, according to Paul in Romans 3 in particular, um, how, does, how does that righteous God declare the unrighteous sinner to be righteous before his eyes? How does he treat us as righteous without compromising his righteousness? That's a lot of uses of the word righteous in a sentence, but you get the idea. How does he, how does he do that? And I explained at the end of our last episode, if you haven't heard it, it'd be worth listening to. Uh, I explained that I, I like to know the, the foundation of things, the, the root, how, how, how does this actually work? Now there are ministries for uh, ministries, mysteries for sure in this theology that we study we god has not fully disclosed to us certainly not to me uh, i can't see it if he has all of these mysteries there's there's a mystery for example between god's sovereignty and man's free will i think everybody understands that one and and there there are so many other mysteries there's there's a mystery of eschatology what happens in the end and why do so many people disagree and fight over it one is that silly left behind series do all the things it does if that's a blessing to you then great but seems silly to me uh, why why is there a fight over pre-mill post-mill 
pre-trib, post-trib, all that stuff. How do, how do we know? Why do some people claim to know what all the symbolism in Daniel and Revelation, what it, what it actually means? Why, do, why, why are some people preterists and partial preterists? That is, thinking some prophecy, because of the day, uh, Revelation, the book of the Revelation written by John was written, they think it could have, if it was written at a certain date, then some of the prophecies might have been fulfilled by Caesar Nero. So anyway, here we are. We're going to we're going to talk about some of these key concepts that I I think we as Christians struggle with. So let's start with this. Let's just just jump in here. Uh this word justified, justification, which appears in scripture. We say the book of Romans uh, that that a theme is justification by faith. It's really the gospel of Jesus Christ, but but Jesus Christ justifies us. What what does that mean? I don't know. I'm curious. I'd love to hear from you what you think of when you think of that word, I've been justified. Does it mean that we become holy like God is holy, that he infuses us? You know, you, 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 there's another big fancy word called imputation. Does he, does he infuse us in, in, in imputation? Does he infuse us with his righteousness to make us justified? Well, that word righteous is, is in the same family of Greek words. It's not the identical word, but it, it's very, very close to this word justified. The word justified actually means to declare righteous or to be declared righteous. So just think about that for a moment. The, the word justified means to be declared righteous. God declares us when he justifies us by faith, simple faith in Jesus Christ, this, this stopping our self-reliance and turning and becoming Christ-reliance, relying on his trusting in his finished work. We're going to get to the word faith in a minute. We're going to talk about what that really means. So justification is simply a declaration of righteous. It's not the getting in a time machine and going back before we ever sinned and making us live in that state. Although God treats us when we're justified like we're sinless. And it, and it's helpful to understand kind of an accounting term that, 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 that really has to do with, you know, it's a little more complicated and we're going to get to it in, in, a, in a few minutes, this, this expiation, which is the wiping away of our sin. It's, it's really a clearing of our account. So picture, if you know double entry accounting, pick, picture an account that just piles up with transactions. And wow, in my case, it, it just piles up with transactions, sin after sin after sin after sin. And then this, this expiation uh, involves the wiping away of sin. This, this declaration of justification is an expiation plus something else that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. So it's a, it's a declaration of righteousness. God treats us, it's important to know this, treats us as if we're righteous, doesn't infuse some character trait of his, and doesn't put us in a time machine, take us back before we sinned. Doesn't happen. He declares us, he sees us through his son as righteous. What a beautiful promise. If you missed my series on Romans last year, go back and listen and you can see, the, or just pick up your Bible and look at Romans 3 and you'll see where I'm getting the answers to these questions. 
I'll talk about a couple of other texts as well. First Corinthians one and Ephesians one are great places to go as well. So second word, so that's justification or justified. Second one is a word I just used in the definition of justification. I said to be declared righteous. What is God? What is, what is righteousness? First of all, Well, when God declares us righteous, this is neither an attribute of God nor the changed character of the believer, as we just said in the definition of of justification. But the righteousness of God, we say things like, you know, one of the things I do in my classes, and oh my goodness, I wish you could be with me when these 11th and 12th graders in this honors class at Circle Christian School do this, that that in the first class of the year, we talk about in, in a Bible class that I teach, a worldview class that I teach, we talk about the character of God, the character traits of God. And, and we always mention his righteousness. And then we go back, we write them all on the board, you know, his omnipresence, omniscience, omnibenevolence, all, all of them, transcendence, eminence, everything, everything we can think of. His being love, not just loving. His, his creating the world out of nothing. He's a creator. He's, he's a redeemer. He's, he's all these things. And we're talking about his attributes then. And when we, when we talk about the righteousness of God in Romans 3, this, this righteousness, this declaration, we're not talking about his attributes. But, but when it is his attribute, that righteousness refers to his moral right standing. And, and that leads me to a short discussion, because it can make your head explode, on whether or not there are things God can't do. And the answer is yes, he can't sin. He, he has to be consistent with his own character and because he's righteous, because he has moral right standing. He's, he has moral perfection, even. He cannot sin. He can't. And, and you can, you, you know, these stupid hypothetical questions that are designed to trip the Christian up that atheists love to ponder are just nonsensical. God can't sin, no. So is he limited? Yes, his holiness, his righteousness, they limit him. Yes, they do. So what? They do. But but he's more perfect than you can imagine. You can't, I talk about these terms like I can comprehend them. I can't fully comprehend. You know, I, I when I imagine God, I cannot imagine a higher being. I have a high view of God. I see tremendous separation from God and man in our flesh, but I also see tremendous eminence, tremendous love, a loving father, a loving heavenly father who gave himself up for us. And as Paul says, sometimes a person will give themselves for a good person, but not for an evil one. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Boom. This sacrifice was bigger than we can imagine because Jesus Christ was fully and completely God. Fully God. And Imagine that level of holiness and then taking on being our propitiation, taking on the sins of the world, conquering sin and death. Mm. All right, moving on. Let's come up with another word to ponder. The word faith. What is faith? You know, I love it when just people in the world say, you Christians, you they'll call us people of faith. Well, We're not people of faith any more than they are. Everyone has faith. That is a belief in or trust in things. Some people believe and trust in nothingness. The postmodernist believes and trusts in in tolerance. The 
new spiritualists, the Deepak Chopra followers, they, they believe in and trust in consciousness. Muslims believe and trust in Allah. We all exercise faith all the time. You wouldn't get on an airplane if you didn't exercise faith. You wouldn't sit in a chair. You wouldn't be driving the car you're driving. Now, now those are those are weak forms of faith and trust, but we all, and, and, and so, so faith and reason are, are not on a continuum. Don't fall for that. You don't have to give up some faith to have reason. You don't have to give up reason to have faith. You're not standing on some line with two arrows at the end with faith on one end and reason on the other. And you don't feel this tug of war like, oh, am I going to, am I going to be stupid today and full of faith? Or can I be smart today and have less faith? Nope. doesn't work that way. God gives you as it were a container and it's an infinite one and you can fill it with both. In fact, your faith, my faith is well reasoned if it's based on scripture. In fact, reason and, and, and God's word is powerful. Again, it, 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 it goes beyond just reason like we have when we, when we critically read a text written by man, but this is God-breathed scripture, and we can apply reason to it, and it grows our faith. Hearing comes, uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We, God uses his word to grow our faith. So if you say, oh, I struggle with my faith, dive deeper into scripture. I struggle with relationships, dive deeper into scripture. And stay there. Marinate there. Ask somebody to let you teach them a section of scripture. Agree with a spouse that you're going to teach, or a child, or or a sibling, or or whatever your situation is. Get somebody to let you teach a section of scripture. Teach them Romans. I'd love to hear from you if you do this. The book, the Gospel of John, or the book of Romans. Start there. And just start researching and teach it. The time you spend really pondering it, read, read it in the English Standard Version of the Bible, go to blueletterbible.org and look up the Greek words. You can figure out how to use it. Read a good commentary. Woodrow Kroll wrote a good one, K-R-O-L-L. If you don't have that one, you can get it on Amazon. There are some others. Easy to read. Do that and watch your faith grow. Our faith grows as we learn God's word, as God impacts us through his word, and it is alive. And I know you've experienced it, where you read a section you've read a million times and something new jumps out at you. I don't know exactly how that works, but, but knowing scripture is God-breathed, you know, formed by him, I stand in awe of scripture. So that's faith. It's belief or trust. You don't have to you don't have to give up one to have the other between faith and reason. We are justified by faith. That that trust to trust in Christ for salvation, to place our trust in our confidence in, our reliance upon forces us to do something else called repentance. Repentance is turning from our sin to God. It's not just a changing of our mind, like some people say. It is a turning from and to. Well, repentance is buried here, is implied here, implicit, and trusting God by faith. This definition of faith includes repentance. We go from 
trusting in ourselves, being self-reliant, self-sufficient sinners, which is who we are in our natural state. We read last week that there's none righteous, that we've all become worthless and so on. So in our natural state, we're all a bunch of sinners. But as we turn in repentance and trust in Christ and his finished work on the cross, which we talked about in detail, the implications of that in detail last week, then, then we're, we're exercising faith. We are justified by faith. All right. The glory of God, what is that? Well, it's the kingly majesty of God and Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It, God is far more glorious, that is, breathtaking, uh, that is, all majestic and powerful than, than we are prepared to admit or, ima- or can imagine. When we say in Romans 3.23, we read this last week, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's glory is his righteous standard. We read in 1 Corinthians 30, and I know I read it last week, but I'm going to read it again because it's beautiful. And because of him, that is God, you are in Christ Jesus who became sin to us, who became to us, sorry, wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus Christ is God's righteousness and sanctification and redemption as we're in him. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So if we are in him by faith, we put our trust in him, then he has become wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption to us. How beautiful is that? We're going to talk about redemption next. Jesus Christ is the glory of God, the kingly majesty of God. And that that we start saying kingly, you know, not not like King George the 3rd, not like any earthly king. An infinite, majestic, powerful, incredible heavenly king whose wrath we should be horrified of. All right, moving on. The word redemption we mentioned. We talked about this a lot, redeemed. There's an old hymn, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Well, this has the idea of a purchase. When you think of redemption, you think of a purchase. But this is a purchase as in a ransom of a slave. And Paul goes on in Romans to prove this. He talks about our Why would you continue to live like a slave who's captive to sin when you've been redeemed? Can can you just imagine, and and I I know I've talked before about these these DNA researchers who who free prisoners who shouldn't have been incarcerated. They they go and find DNA evidence and free them. Can, Can you imagine somebody paying a ransom to have you freed as a slave, eternally freed, freed, from captivity for the rest of your life. And in fact, this is for eternity. But but it's a purchase. Our redemption in Christ is, is a purchase as in the ransom of a slave for eternity. Can can you just imagine that? Can 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 you comprehend the fact that that has happened? If you're in Christ, if you put your trust in him, if we put our trust in him. 
and and it is so silly to think that the person would say, you know what? I miss those shackles. I, I miss I miss being a slave. And that's exactly what we do when we become captive to sin as Christians. It makes no sense. It serves no purpose. Sin is alluring, but but it makes no sense that we would live in captivity to it. It owns us, becomes it becomes our captor, in a sense, Paul says. If you've been freed, if you've been redeemed, live like it, is what he's saying. That's what he's talking about when he talks about walking in the Spirit, walking by faith. So, that is redemption. The blood of Jesus Christ has purchased us by faith, as we put our trust in him, much like the eternal ransom of a slave. Wow. All right. Big word. Used it last week. Tried to explain it. What is propitiation? The Greek word is hilasterion. Probably mispronounced that. A lot of times you'll hear that it's expiation. People like to use big words in theology. That is a clearing of the record of your sin. It's, it's kind of an accounting word. It's, it's a clearing of an account. The account accumulates you know, we, we accumulate an account with sin in it and God expiated us through Jesus Christ. He is our propitiation. But he does more than just clear our account. Now, so he doesn't infuse us with his righteousness, as we've already said. He sees us as righteous, treats us as righteous, reckons us as righteous. But he does more than just expiation. There's more than expiation included in propitiation. The propitiation references the the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the lid on the gold lid on the Ark of the Covenant. And it's, it's described in the Old Testament in, in great detail. And the high priest at the Day of Atonement every year would sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant. It was where God met man. It was, it was where God, you know, man achieved propitiation with God. God propitiated our sin. He, he cleared the record of our sin. It appeased him. So it's more than just clearing the record. It's appeasing God's wrath. It's it's this idea of appeasing an offended party. And then we receive his favor and reconciliation. So real propitiation, if you read Romans 3, real propitiation is expiation, that is clearing of our record, plus appeasing God's wrath, plus receiving his favor and reconciliation. We're reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, and I want to talk about this, in the Old Testament, we we struggle understanding the sacrifice system. The the Old Testament sacrifices, that that whole system under the law, was a, 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 an incomplete propitiation, but it was a propitiation designed to appease God. But without the cross of Jesus Christ, that propitiation wouldn't have been complete. God had passed over, had not condemned. You remember our problem of evil we talked about? Holy God, how does he forgive unrighteous man? Well, by the blood of Jesus Christ is how. The Old Testament sacrifices were imperfect and incomplete. They pointed toward the New Testament sacrifices. 
sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But they were incomplete. So his was the complete, the perfect. All right. So the next word, expiation, we've already talked about, removing or wiping away sin. It's a subset of propitiation, as it were. A really important concept. I, I don't want to overlook it. You know, this clearing of our sins. Some people struggle with the notion that they could be forgiven. One of the things Christian counselors will tell you, probably secular ones too, is that guilt is crippling. Well, just really read and study and believe what happens in propitiation and expiation, this removing or wiping away of sin. It's just beautiful. Satan is the great accuser. As you get older, you become more sensitive to your sin. Don't fall for the, and and I'm a hypocrite for saying this because we all do this. Don't fall for the, how could God forgive me nonsense? You know how he could forgive you? By his son, by the propitiation of his son, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, because you have faith in him. You've trusted in him. That's how. You're denying the efficacy of the work of Jesus Christ when you have these, this, when you refuse to believe this, when you struggle with this, when we have this guilt, if we're truly in him. So that's expiation. Let's try another word. The wrath of God, that's several words. I want to just talk about that for a second. It's, it's God's response to and judgment of sin. It is propitiated by Jesus Christ, but wow, the average person just doesn't care. And, and I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to criticize our culture too much. I mean, it, it is what it is, but it is godless. It is, it is fearless before God. But so were the Roman people. So have people been throughout history. So were Adam and Eve, for that matter, in a way. The wrath of God should make us shudder. Now, in fearing the Lord is not just a, you know, out of respect, he's got a higher rank than me. No. No, it's, it's a, a fear that leads to flight, if you study the word, most of the time that it's used. It's a, it's a oh my goodness, stand in awe of. And I'm pretty sure with my finite mind, I don't imagine God being as fearful as he is. I don't imagine that he generates, I, I, don't, I don't see, let's say it this way, I don't, I don't see him as awe-inspiring and, and causing fear as he is. None of us do, but we should pause and think about that. The wrath of God is awesome. He has to punish sin. The wages of sin is death, Paul says in Romans 6, 23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The the wages of sin is death. God's wrath is poured out against sin. Eternal damnation, a literal hell, will be horrible for some. Paul Washer sometimes says, but they'll want to stay there because they're godless, because they're haters of God in their flesh. They will still refuse to trust him and believe. But God's wrath is going to be poured out on sin. Justification really is by works, isn't it? However, for those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, we're justified by faith in him. 
his works, his finished work on the cross. All right, I don't want to get in trouble by going down that rabbit trail too far. The law itself is, when Paul uses it and scripture uses it, and I just want to point this out, it's both a principle and the actual Mosaic law. It's important to know which we're talking about. It's also important with words like Israel. Is, is, is he talking about a nation or is he talking about a people who are in Christ? That it's, it's important to understand the word that is used. And usually on most modern translations like English Standard Version, New King James, even NIV, New American Standard, we can kind of read it in context and back up and read more context before and after and understand the meaning. These words were translated pretty well. But that word law can be confusing. The Mosaic law is, is, is spelled out in the Old Testament. You can read all about it and it was completed by Jesus Christ. It still exists. It still serves a purpose. It points us to Christ. It shows us God's character. We are not antinomian. That is against the law. But Paul sometimes uses that word as just a principle. You have a law in you, he will say. There is a law that, and he just means a principle. I think, I think he's talking in language that would be understood by the culture, particularly when he speaks to the Jewish people. All right, let's review some questions that are really important. On, on what basis, I promised you we would do this in this episode, does God declare us righteous? He declares us righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. The merits of Jesus Christ are our righteousness. Jesus is God's righteousness. And when we are in him by faith, by putting our trust in him, by repenting, turning from sin, turning from sin and to God, to Jesus Christ and relying on or trusting in him, he declares us righteous. He doesn't infuse us with his righteousness, as we've said several times, but he declares us righteous. How short of God's glory do we fall? Miserably short. This isn't a, he just outranks us a little bit, or I almost got there. You'll hear people talk about, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I think I could, well, there's a guy in scripture like that. And Jesus says, well, go sell all that you have. And we don't know what happens, but but he walks away with his head down. How short of God's glory do we fall? Miserably short. We are in desperate need of a savior. If you are arrogant enough to think that you might meet God's standard, you you are overestimating yourself and underestimating God's glory significantly. We are in desperate need. The story is slanderous how much we need a savior. All right. How is our redemption accomplished? How is our purchase? How is our freedom from slavery? How is our how, how is our, our our ransom being paid? How is how is that accomplished? By the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how our redemption is accomplished. By faith in him. And, and you say, "Oh, that sounds so simple." Well, it's really not simple and it's not without a huge price. But it is simple on one level, isn't it? It's a lot simpler and much more direct and easier to understand than, than leaving this podcast today and going and trying to be perfect, trying to merit God's favor. If you think you can get there, let's say it this way. If you think you can justify yourselves by works, read Romans 2. It is sobering. You cannot. Now, when you get to a certain age, you know what a sinner you are. You can look back on your life and you can see it. Most people don't need to be convinced of that, 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 that how short we fall. 
how, how, how much we fail, how short of God's standard we fall. But our redemption is accomplished through Christ or through the blood of Jesus Christ by faith. Yes, it is a free gift, it is available to you. The fourth question I want to answer is what is the real problem of evil? Well, there's tension in this because and it's really how can a how can a righteous God forgive an unrighteous, you know, declare us unrighteous and then and then ultimately declare us righteous without compromising his righteousness. Well, that is the real problem of evil. And and he can because of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, the propitiation of Jesus Christ, the appeasement of God by the propitiator. The propitiated is appeased by the propitiator, Jesus Christ. Next question is, explain the connection between Old Testament and New Testament propitiation. Again, the answer is Jesus. That that mercy seat, that sprinkling of blood on the mercy seat by the high priest in the Old Testament was it was it was necessary but not sufficient. The the yes, I'm saying it. All all of human history centers on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was executed on a cruel Roman cross, taking on our sins, conquering sin and death, being raised on the third day. He's ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And 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 our justification in him comes from our being incorporated with him by faith alone, in him alone. That is the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament propitiation. Jesus Christ is the connection between Old Testament and New Testament propitiation. Paul even said that he had to die in a sense. Jesus had to die because God had passed over the sins of the people who'd gone before. Here, I'll read it to you. It says, this was to show, so, so it says, uh, whom God put forward, he's talking about Jesus Christ, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, his moral rightness, his, this, that, that's his character trait, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul just said it. That's what justification is. That is the connection. That is how a righteous God forgives and declares righteous, unrighteous man without compromising his righteousness. And it is also the connection between Old Testament and New Testament propitiation because he had passed over the sins in the Old Testament. Wow. Jesus Christ completes the law. Last question. Just explain, I just want to explain uh, the, the implications of our justification. This clearing of our account, it, the benefits of our justification are too numerous to discuss in the short time we have remaining. But, but think about this for a second. We're reconciled to God. Our sin is wiped away from the record. We are clothed in his righteousness. We have the Holy Spirit. We have an eternal home in heaven. Wow. I mean, we get to live 
with the fruits of the Spirit in our life. We aren't captive to sin. We've been freed. We've been redeemed. Wow, what a blessing. This is earth-shattering, radical, incredible good news beyond anything we can imagine. Our justification is not just a little legal declaration. Okay, fine. No. No, it entitles us. You think that U.S. Constitution entitles you to some rights? Our justification is, is it just overwhelms us with the rights and privileges of being joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I'm not making this up. I'm quoting Paul. We are joint heirs in God's eternal, infinite estate with him. And we enjoy these blessings right here, right now on this earth. We also, Paul says, he's going to go on to say, if you go back and and, and listen to the Roman series, you'll see that he talks about our future glory. Yes, there is that. But the, the benefits of our justification are immense today. I hope that's helpful. This study that we did back in Romans just really prompted me to come back and, and want to really talk about this, this, this sin problem, this problem of evil that we have. I, I think we need to be equipped for this. We need to understand it. I, I did a woefully inadequate job because of this format today. And I realize that, but if you listen to last week's episode and this one, you get the idea and I hope it prompts a study of Romans 3 and the Gospel of John, perhaps the entire book of Romans. Martin Luther said something like, you know, Romans is all, not, not all we need, but, but we, we should commit it to memory and, and probably recite it every day. He said something like that. I just grossly paraphrased him. But it, it, the truth is just so beautiful, this doctrine of justification by faith this propitiation, Jesus Christ as our propitiator is just sweet, sweet, beautiful truth. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope, well, again, thank you for listening and I hope you'll go to our uh, website. Uh, Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. If you find a place where we don't appear, let me know and we'll sign up. And uh, I think we're most everywhere now. Your listener numbers are incredible. We're thankful for you. God is blessing this work. May God bless you and your families richly. And I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.